Hi, it's great to be with you at the start of 2021. I'm going to be speaking this morning uh, on a subject called For Such a Time as This. And at the start, I'm just going to read a few verses from the book of Esther in the Old Testament, chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. This is what it says. Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, Don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows, perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had commanded him. A year ago, no one foresaw a global pandemic. Over a million and a half people have died. Economies have been devastated. And as we look forward to 2021, uh, all that we can see lying ahead of us is rising unemployment, spiralling austerity and escalating mental health issues. And that's before the impact of Brexit is really felt. Uncertainty surrounds us at every turn. And, you know, we've been impacted as well as a church. It's been over nine months since we've been able to all worship together. Government restrictions keep changing. And despite a vaccine being rolled out, uh, it's not clear when restrictions are going to be lifted enough so that we can actually start to gather all together again. If you're like me, you will have lots of questions. Where's God been? It seems that he's been incredibly quiet over this season. What about the promises of God in the Bible to bless us? What about the prophetic words that we've had over us as a church that God is going to cause us to flourish? How should we react to restrictions about how and when we gather? How should we respond to government decisions, even when they seem difficult for us to understand and they seem to make no sense to us. What does the future look like for us? At the start of 2021, God has drawn me to the book of Esther. And in it, I've seen some answers to some of the questions that we have. I've seen some similarities to the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And I'm going to draw some of those out as we take an overview, a bird's eye look at the book of Esther today. And I'd encourage you over the next week to find some time to read the book at your leisure. The story starts with God's people who are in exile. They've suffered the consequences of their disobedience and their refusal to obey God and follow his commands. And they have been, uh, the nation of Israel has been overthrown by the Babylonians. And they have found themselves, uh, those that survived the destruction of Jerusalem, they found themselves being deported to Babylon. 
Uh, they have been dispersed amongst the Babylonian Empire. They've been left to assimilate in what the melting pot of Babylonian culture. Some years before the events uh, that we're reading about in the book of Esther happened, God's people had been allowed by the king of Persia at the time, Cyrus, to return and uh, rebuild the temple. And a number of Jews had gone back at that time, but many hadn't. And Esther tells the story of those Jews who remained in the Babylonian Empire. Esther is a historical story, but it's a beautiful bit of storytelling. It's uh, a story that unfolds and comes to a wonderful ending. But it's, uh, 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 it's a bit satirical and it's full of humour. Some of the humour is quite dark. Some of it uh, leaves, us, uh, leaves us gasping for breath at some of the things that happen. But in it, God is speaking to us. We are in, uh, at this season, at the start of 2021, this is what we call pantomime season. It's a, a season uh, where stories are told of, of, uh, of heroines and heroes and kings and villains, and uh, they always end uh, with, uh, there's always a happy ending. And although Esther isn't a pantomime, there are some similarities. And so uh, I want to introduce you to some of the characters in the story. First of all, there's the king, King Xerxes. He's the same Xerxes if you follow films and you followed the 300 franchise. He's the king that's uh, the pr main protagonist against the Greeks in those films. And Xerxes is the king and uh, rules over the Babylonian Empire. And at the start of Esther, we're introduced to him in his power and his splendour. We're told he rules over 127 provinces, all the way uh, from, uh, uh, from the Upper Nile through to India. We're told of his, uh, his magnificent splendour, of his, the magnificent splendour of his palaces. We're told about his great generosity. And yet, immediately we come across the frailty of his power as his queen Vashti refuses to play the role of, uh, of a trophy wife and be paraded before all the guests uh, at this great banquet, showing off her beauty. She refuses to come. He's incensed and uh, is humiliated. And in his wrath and his anger, he immediately, he deposes her from her position and being left without a queen, he decides that he's going to, uh, he's going to find a new queen. And so he sends his officials out throughout all his lands to find the most beautiful women. And uh, he, from them, he will, uh, he will choose a new queen. But I want to say that this is, it's not a, a it's not a pretty process. This is much more Love Island than it is Blind Date. I want to introduce you, secondly, to the hero, Mordecai. Mordecai is uh, one of God's people who's in exile, living in the city of Susa. We don't know much about him, um, but we do know that he has adopted his orphaned 
cousin Hadassah, also known in the story as Esther. And uh, the story unfolds, and in it we read that Mordecai uh, saves the life of King Xerxes. He overhears of a plot uh, of, of men who are wanting to assassinate him, and uh, he tells Esther, and the king's life is saved. The king doesn't uh, forgets uh, that it's Mordecai who saved him, but that happens in the background. We then come across the villain, and he is a real bad guy. His name is Haman, and uh, he is full of his own self-importance. He's proud, and he's an opportunist looking for power and glory. And uh, he gets promoted by King Xerxes to be the, uh, his key advisor in his kingdom. And uh, Haman, uh, it's a hinted at in the story that Haman is a descendant of, of some of the uh, uh, Israel's uh, uh, enemies centuries before, the Amalekites. We then come to the heroine Esther a beautiful young woman. She is taken as a prospective candidate for King Xerxes' future wives. But I want to tell you that she had no choice in this. We're told she was taken. And uh, this was no young Jewish girl's dream. She'd longed to be married and have a husband. She didn't anticipate being uh, a one-night stand for a king with a possibility of her being future queen. This is not what she dreamt of as she was growing up. And yet we read as the story unfolds that Esther pleases the king and she becomes his next queen. I want to draw out five key threads from this story that I believe are going to help us and speak into the circumstances in which we find ourselves as we look forward to 2021. And the first thing that I want to draw to our attention is this. God is in control. In the whole book of Esther, God is never mentioned. We don't read of people praying. We don't read of any religious activity. We don't read of uh, them worshipping God. God isn't seen. Someone once said, God's silence doesn't mean God's absence. Despite God not being mentioned, God is, is, his handiwork is all the way through the book of Esther. Esther is full of remarkable coincidences that bring the story to its pivotal conclusion and its happy ending. Everything works out and it all points to the hand of God working behind the scenes, manoeuvring circumstances to bring about the ending that God planned and desired. I remember uh, many years ago, and uh, I was unemployed for five to six months, and uh, I was looking for a job in the field that I'd, uh, I'd worked in before as a planning officer, and uh, I was uh, living down in Southampton, and I was looking for a job in the area. So I, I got one of my old colleagues back in Wales to send me and let me know of job opportunities for me in this area. 
And uh, so he would send stuff through to me. And in the meantime, I was filling out CVs. I was contacting everyone I could, uh, just looking for a job, desperate to find work. And uh, during that season, I got one job out of it, which had already run out. It looked like they'd filled the job, but I didn't know whether the company employed lots of people or no one at all. So I sent them a CV in the midst of loads of others that I was sending out. Now, that CV landed on the manager of the business's desk, just as the person that they had appointed to fulfill the role that I'd seen the advert some weeks, some months before, just as they were about to take up their position. It landed on their desk just as that person was telling them, I'm not going to take the job. Everything was in place. They had a company car. It was all lined up. The boss was really uptight, was saying, we're not even going to advertise anymore. And his wife said, well, I've just had this CV land on my desk. He said, well, I don't even want to see him. So she said, well, let me see him. If he's any good, I'll let you know. So I met with her, spent 45 minutes with her to an hour. And at the end of the interview, she said, you're a godsend. And I got my first job down here. That was lucky, wasn't it? No, no, no. God was at work. God was using my non-Christian friend back in Wales. God was using circumstances, was uh, working in all that was going on and working it out so that I ended up at the right place at the right time. Esther is full of this sort of thing. In the Bible, we call this the providence of God. God at work in the lives of ungodly people, uh, making ungodly decisions, but behind it all, God can use those things for our good. More than anything else, Esther underlines the providence of God. God rules over all the mundane things as well as uh, the uh, spectacular things that happen. It's why as Christians we don't believe in luck. God even uses people's selfishness and unkindness to work for our good. In Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 28, Paul says this, And we know, we know, we know this, we know as followers of Jesus that all things, not just some things, not just good things, all things work together for the good of those who love God. An amazing promise. You see, looking back in our lives and the circumstances, it's easy to see the hand of God at work. It's less easy. We're in the midst of pain and difficulties. Esther reminds us that God's at work, even when circumstances seem to say the opposite. For the last nine months, we've been scattered. We've been unable to meet together to worship God. Where's God been? Everyone has a view as to what's going on. Esther helps us cut through all the nonsense and all the conspiracy theories to remind us that God is at work building his kingdom. It reminds us that rulers and governments come and go, but we're looking to the God who's bringing in his kingdom. And as someone, uh, one writer uh, put it, it's a different kingdom and a better king. 
God is at work through all the craziness and the strange decisions we see being made. He's working through us not being able to meet together. He's working through us not being able to meet together. That is incredible. What should our response be? Should we be passive? Seke sarah sarah. Maybe we ought to be militant and shake our fist and raise our voices. Can I suggest our response should be that we pray. God, how can we use this situation to see your kingdom come? The king we are looking for came to serve, not to be served. The king we're looking for came to see himself uh, lifted up on a cross, not lift himself up in front of other people for their adulation. Our king, in the worst of circumstances, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when all was against him, he trusted God to work it out for good. Esther provokes us to trust God just like that in the midst of all that's going on. The second thing I want to draw out is this. God is with us. Esther answers the big question for the Jews who stayed in Persia, who've decided not to go back to Jerusalem, to the temple where they can worship. They know they can worship God. They know God is going to be present in the temple. But what about them as they're scattered across the Persian Empire? The story of Esther answers that question. In their darkest moments, God was still with them. For us, we know we've been unable to meet together on Sundays. But is he still with us in the twos and threes, in the small groups as we're able to gather in them? As we go out for walks with others? I mean, it doesn't feel the same. It's sub-biblical, isn't it? The answer from Esther is a resounding no. God is still with us. Jesus, our great king, said where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. Matthew Henry, the 17th and 18th century minister, uh, said of that verse, said of what Jesus, our great king, said, he said this, two or three is the smallest group of people that can meet. Yet if Jesus is among us, that meeting is as blessed as if there were two or three thousand. God is with us. Thirdly, God's enemy is at work. You see, in the story, Mordecai saves the king's life and yet Haman gets promoted. <laughs> We've all been in situations like that. Many of us have got that T-shirt. And yet not only is Mordecai overlooked, but Haman takes a personal dislike to him because Mordecai won't, uh, uh, won't uh, bow in deference to Haman. And Haman is offended, and so he wants to take retribution on Mordecai. He wants to kill him. And when he finds out that he's a Jew, he goes far further. He decides he wants to kill all the Jews. He wants to kill all of Mordecai's people. 
And so Haman uh, manipulates the king and twists the king into signing an irrevocable uh, edict, uh, an edict, a decision that can't be changed. It's written in law that all the Jews are to be assassinated, to be killed on one day, some months ahead. Far-fetched. Actually, that's how these things happen. Genocide happens just like that, out of the evil of human hearts. And yet, behind the evil in Haman's heart, there is a malevolent force. There is an enemy of God. The Bible calls him the devil, the evil one, who is at work looking to bring destruction. He's a murderer and a destroyer, we're told. And he loves nothing more than to destroy people, but particularly he wants to destroy God's people. He hates God's people. He hates the church. Mordecai and Esther put their trust in God to save them and to save God's people. They trust him to help them change the mind of the king. You know, I genuinely believe God is sovereign, that God is ruling and reigning over this sin-sick world. We may live in a world that's under the control of the evil one. That's what we're told. However, we know that everything is put in place by God. Kings and kingdoms, governments are placed there by God. And it pleases God if we pray for them. We're not to oppose them. Instead, we resist our enemy, our real enemy, not flesh and blood, but the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. That's the one that we resist. Don't be surprised when bad things happen to good people. Today, we haven't been persecuted for our faith, but maybe there are days coming when that might happen. But Esther reminds us in the end, God wins. Trusting him is worth it. The fourth thing is that God wants us to take responsibility. You see, Mordecai encourages Esther to take responsibility. We read those verses uh, as we started today. Esther can't hide her identity forever. Now's the time to stand up and beg uh, and plead the king for mercy on her people. She is immersed in palace culture. Will she stand up? Can she uh, find her true identity as a child of God? The question for us as we face 2021 is will we take responsibility? Will we stand up, immersed in the culture around that we are, and take our responsibility as children of God to plead for God's people? No one else can do what we can do where God has placed us. The nursing home you find yourself in, the ward God has put you in, the surgery you work in, the classroom in which you teach, the home that you parent in, amongst your group of friends that you mix with at the school gate, 
or the community that you live in, the neighbour that God placed next to you. Will you stand up when it matters? No one is allowed to approach the king unbidden. The penalty is death. Esther, first of all, makes excuses. It's too dangerous. Mordecai simply says, maybe you've come to the place of influence that you're in for a season, for a time such as this. Esther takes her responsibility and she goes before the king and pleads for her people. If the king didn't extend his golden scepter to her when she stood outside the court, she was finished. As she stands there shaking, the king extends the golden scepter. She goes in and her plea is heard. Because of us, circumstances can change, but we need to be those who plead before the king. We come not just before an earthly king, we come before the king of kings. We would be unable to come into his presence, except that Jesus has opened a way for us through his death on the cross. And he's made it possible that we can now enter into the courts of the king. And as we do that, we come initially with trepidation. Will he accept us? But God's scepter is always pointed towards us because Christ has paid the price for us. And we are able to come before the King of Kings, the living God, the one who rules the universe. And we can bring our prayers and our petitions before him and he will hear our cry. We can plead with God for people and for situations. In 2021, let's be a people who do that. Let's be courageous in bringing our prayers before him and take our responsibility seriously. Finally, God turns the tables. The story of Esther tells us that God always turns the tables. Haman built gallows for, uh, for Mordecai to be hung on and yet in the end of the story he gets hoisted by his own petard. The enemy's plans are turned on their head. The day of destruction for the Jews is turned around and it turns out to be a day of their great deliverance. Because of Esther, another edict, another law is passed in the king's name and the Jews are able to defend themselves against their enemies. The day of their destruction becomes a day of deliverance. What the enemy meant for harm, God turns for good. And as a result of what they see, many of the people around turn to the Jews and become Jews because of what they see happening. They see the hand of God at work and they join the people of God. Esther is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Jesus didn't, uh, wasn't just willing to die for us, he did die. Esther was prepared to die, but Jesus went to a cross to pay the price for us. He entered the courts of heaven where the Father accepted his death on our behalf that we might become children of God, that we uh, would be able 
to defend us. Jesus has rewritten the death sentence over us. We now have access to the armory of God and we can defend ourselves against our enemy, the devil, who is looking to damage us and destroy the people of God. We can take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and we can wield it. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we believe what the Bible says, because it is our weapon to fight against powers and principalities that are looking to do such damage in our our world today. Just like Esther, we need to take up our responsibility. No one will do it for us. The victory was won in the courts of the king in Esther's day. But each person had to stand in the land shoulder to shoulder to, with each other to outwork this new uh, law that had been written that proved to be for their deliverance. Jesus has won the victory for us. He has given us all authority to go and reach people with the good news of the kingdom of God. We are called to be those who, wherever we are, wherever we're placed, however scattered we are in this season, to stand shoulder to shoulder with those around us to declare the kingdom of God and stand up and take responsibility for the people around us, to pray for them, to share the gospel as and when God gives us appropriate opportunities. It may feel like church is shrinking and diminishing in these days. It may feel like the enemy is having a field day. People may be drifting away, but I want to tell you, Jesus, our great king, is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against him. Let's determine this year to trust God. Let's live with an awareness of him being with us, however distant we may feel from one another. Let's take responsibility for for what God has put in front of us. God will turn the tables. And I believe this year, this is a year of breakthrough where God will do something and we will see people turn to Christ because they have seen the hand of God with us and how we have walked through these difficult days. God is with us. Hallelujah. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you are with us in the midst of all that's going on. I want to thank you that you are sovereign, working out your great purposes and plans in these days. Even though we may not see your hand at work, we believe that under the surface you are working and working for our good. All things we believe working for our good. And so, Father, we say this year, may this year be a year of great opportunity. May this be a year of breakthrough. May this be a year where many, many people come to know that Jesus Christ is the answer. May they come to find you, Father, the living God, the one who loves them and gave his son for them. May this year be a year where you turn the tables And may your kingdom come in Jesus' name. Amen.